Okay, it's 3.42 in the morning, and I just had another attack. I know that it's discipline from the Lord because I, um, He's correcting me, but I, um, I had a dream. I was in my own bed, this exact bed. Actually, no, I was dreaming I was at my parents' house in my old bed, and I woke up, and there was a giant dog walking over top of me, but for some reason, I couldn't feel him on the bed, and I couldn't feel him touching me, but I I couldn't see him. I could just barely see like a shadow of him, and he was just walking all over me, sniffing me, sniffing me, had his mouth real close to my uh, mouth, and I was waiting any minute now he was going to make contact, and it was like he was sucking the breath out of me, and I couldn't move. I couldn't move in the dream. And I was trying to move and trying to move and get away. I knew I needed to get away. That this dog was up to no good. And I finally jerked out of it and woke up. And I know that is demonic torment. They're messing with me. And I thank the Lord Jesus Christ for he's allowing that to happen. To again show me the need for absolute purity of heart. When I woke up the other night having had these sexual encounters in my dream and woke up and in the middle of the night, I knew, I was like, I cannot do this. And this is God allowing me to feel the frustration and the pain of making this that, that decision. It's discipline. This is what happens when you take off your breastplate of righteousness. This, is, this has not happened where um, it's been like this for a while and immediately the Holy Spirit let me know. This happened because I have damaged my breastplate of righteousness. So this is the whole time I'm just in my heart. Motivation to live pure. Motivation to live pure. After we just talked about this tonight at the Bible study. Thank you, Lord. Last night was the night that I had a what was a very evil dream about the dog that was trying to stand over me and take my breath away. But I also woke up remembering that I had lots of dreams about Laura. It was a lengthy dream, not lots of dreams, but it was a lengthy dream about Laura. It was another one of those like, I'm trying to find her, trying to break through the barriers and you know, it's almost about to happen. It was like in the dream, she kind of had already, I don't remember enough details to even really be making this recording basically, but it was basically that I'm still trying to pursue her and there's slowly starting to be a breakthrough and she's slowly starting to um, come around and acknowledge and make herself available to me. Um, and that that's encouraging because it's been pretty hurtful what has happened to me in the last couple of days. In particular, uh, yesterday, when I received that email from that lady in London after I tried to help this lady, and then when she became interested in me in a way that, you know, was more than just friendship, it seemed, she was kind of wondering about that, that I um, tried to be as delicate and, and, and as compassionate and soft as I could, and uh, she ended up basically firing off a pretty not nice email to me. I know it had to be from just the devil using her hurt and it was very discouraging and it had some things in there that, uh, you know, like, you know, you should be working with your hands. Like, in other words, get a job. You need to be reading the King James Version of the Bible. You need to quit taking things so seriously. You need to quit talking to people and making recordings like this. I mean, basically, if it was up to her, I'd shut down my whole ministry and go work at Home Depot. And this is a lady who had sent me an email initially saying how thankful she was that I had put my story out there and that it reminded her of what God had done in her life earlier. And so it's amazing how how people can, can put on this, I'm sweet, I'm gentle, I'm kind, I'm nice, and then as soon as they don't get what they want or you disappoint them or hurt them, even unintentionally, they can flip. Now, she did send me, after I wrote her back, like a two-sentence reply. Like, kind of like, you know, I understand, I hope everything's okay, take care of that kind of thing. 
she wrote back, uh, oh, I said, you know, I'll give some, give what you said some consideration. Thank you, so forth and so on. That was it. She wrote back, I'm sorry, I think I'm a bit emotional and I have a funny stomach in my tummy, funny feeling in my tummy. And so I could tell she was writing out of emotion, and I understand that. That's just, we all have a tendency to do that from time to time. And, um, but anyhow, it, it clobbered me a little bit, you know, in the middle of the night thinking about these things. And then obviously, the night before where I'm I'm a man who's celibate and having to get up in the middle of the night and, and you know, is just was terrible for me. And I think that opened the door to this dream that I had. And so I, I'm under a major, major attack because my faith is down. There's darkness. I'm having to fight in my faith. I'm having to keep going. I'm having to endure. I haven't felt that Laura's coming. My kids are coming. I mean, I haven't felt that in a long time. I'm just keeping on, keeping on, no matter what. That's what I'm doing. I'm not feeling the grace of God holding me. I'm feeling me having to just fight and endure by the grit of my teeth. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I just picked up my Bible and my verse. My eyes went, they did not remember his power. The day he oppressed them from the oppressor. Psalm 78:42, And it just made me realize how quickly... The enemy's attacks can make you forget what God has already done. And now by having this lady send me this letter, it's creating doubt. You know, it creates doubt. And as I sat down this morning thinking about it, it was 6.16. Take up the shield of faith with which to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So he's trying to get me to doubt right before God blesses me. I think what Charles Stanley talked about in his book, Waiting on God, is true. That the enemy presses his hardest attacks right before God's going to do something awesome so that you will be ashamed that when he does do it, you didn't wait. And I think he's gotten close. He's getting close to being able to do that to me, to flip me over like a turtle on my back. I have to remember, like I woke up this morning going, yeah, maybe I do need to just quit all this and get a job. I'm like, where did that come from? That has not been a thought of mine for, I mean, over a year. And all of a sudden, because this lady who gets her feelings hurt because I'm not interested in her, sends me off an email saying all these things that, I mean, that is just unbelievable how quick. That shows how weak I am in my state right now that I could even have those thoughts. But, of course, I woke up in the morning thinking that. My brain never works right in the morning. But it's important for me to remember, look, God ended your divorce on 777 days. You have seen God provide a $100 check the day before you needed it without telling another human being. You've seen God do... All kinds of things to sustain you, to take care of you, provide for you. You need to continue to do what God's asking you to do, and you got to trust. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Not easy at all. It's 7.01, of course. has to be 7.01 when I reach to grab my phone, since I'm in the middle of trying to memorize another scripture. It's April 18th, 2015. I'm in a still a period of several weeks of some of the the greatest oppression that I've experienced in a while. In other words, it's obvious that I'm under attack intentionally. Um, I've been having dreams and uh, things with women and, and stuff. People, you know, it's just been un, unreal. Uh, it's not been overwhelming, but it's definitely been chipping away, chipping away. And I think it's all designed to try to get me to doubt my faith for the things that I've been waiting God on, waiting for God for for a long time. Even last night, I have a dream where my mom is once again doubting that I'm hearing from God. In the dream, she's yelling, "You know, Michael, I've been thinking and all that." Incidentally, I had um, I met Steve. I don't know his last name at Starbucks. He's a pastor I've known for a couple years on and off through um, Starbucks. He is an associate preacher. He preaches at a couple of churches here locally. And he invited me yesterday to come hear him preach and to come to a, a small church of Christ that he's going to be preaching at. I, I thought he was a Baptist preacher. I felt some immediate resistance towards the idea that it was Church of Christ. He said, look, I know you've probably heard some things, but you know, look at what happens when Philip brings uh, finds Nathaniel and says, we found Jesus. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Instead of answering the question, he just says, come and see. And he says, so come and see. I was agreeing to to go because it was him. And 
um, I explained to him a little bit about my situation that kind of left the institutional church for now. As I go to make the appointment, it's 525. And I'm like, hmm, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I recognize that's the same scripture God used to keep me from going to Whitesburg Baptist Church, kind of trying to warn me in advance. And so last night, I prayed. I'm like, God, please, Lord, if, if you do not want me to go, I prayed. I said, if you do not want me to go, make it clear. I promise I will not go. And I uh, had a dream last night that I'm sitting on the side of the road. I don't know what I'm doing. My mom is yelling some things to me from across the road. I can hear her through a window. Yeah, I sent you three emails, and I don't even know why I'm sitting on the side of the road. It was like back in the day when we lived in those apartments on Patton Road, and there was Patton Road on one side, and I'm on the other side of a sidewalk, and my mom's in her apartment way across the street, across the highway, and she's yelling at me. I sent you three emails, and yeah, I've been wondering about this, and filled with doubt. A few minutes later, a truck drives by, 919. And I know in the dream, it's the confirmation on stay put on don't go to this church. I knew kind of last night, I was like, if the Lord's telling me to to even avoid making many videos and avoid doing all this other stuff, how much more, more does he not want me to get involved? And he's like, you know, because we need people there and all that. And I'm like, yep, see, that's not what God's asking me to do. And he says, I'm not going to try to, you know, rule your life or, 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 you know, rule your schedule. I forget what he said. And I said, oh, you wouldn't have to worry about that. I said, God's already, God's already got me under control. So, I know now clearly I'm not going to go. I'm going to just continue to try to keep doing what I'm doing. But I, um, I'm feeling pretty good so far this morning. But I can definitely tell. And so I'm going to read Abraham Waiting on God book this morning um, and do some scripture memorization. I've got to keep my mind renewed and uh, keep believing God for these promises because I can see the enemy's trying to get me to look at the fact that you still have no donations. You still have no money. You're going to have to make even more child support. I mean, it's just, you, come on, when are you going to get the picture? When are you going to wake up to the reality that nothing's going to change? And I just have to keep obeying what God is asking me to do and keep trusting, keep trusting, just enduring. Uh, last night I was listening to some messages by Charles Stanley and he was talking about not quitting. Just keep it on waiting. Keep waiting on God. You will not be put to shame. Right now, I have 1,011 unread emails. Not that they're all ones that, they're mostly just junk and things I don't open because I know I don't need to open them, but 1011, as the scriptures say, Romans 1011, as the scriptures say, no one who trusts in Him will be disappointed. May it be for me. Michael Commentary. I want to almost apologize for this next message. This next message is very important. It is very spirit-filled. It is filled with truth. Otherwise, I wouldn't put it in here. And you're going to see, this is the opposite side of my life. This is the side of my life that causes Satan to attack me. And this is why I'm having all the dreams and why I'm struggling so much because Satan doesn't go after dead horses. He knows the Spirit of God is at work in my life and heart to bring truth to people. However, the apology I want to make is for the fierceness of this message. And I also want to let you know that it does not apply to Christians who are making progress, who are growing in their faith. This next message, please remember this. I made this message in response to a group of Christians, in particular one man that I saw. He kind of represented the highest level of carnal Christianity, a disastrous, quote, Christianity that I had ever seen. And this guy really became a whiner. And no matter what I could give him, it would be two steps forward and three steps back. I would fire off the greatest of the words of God, the best of my stories, the best of my teaching that I had right out of the Bible for him, and he would just take two steps forward and three steps back. And no matter how much, he literally was like a black hole. It was like no matter what I gave him, it went into a hole and Satan was right there and just gobbled it all up, and the guy's condition ended up being usually worse off than before I even gave him all this insight. So... I started to become very, very frustrated, not realizing that not everybody can be a Christian. Uh, not everybody that claims to be a Christian is a Christian. I mean, I realize it, but I didn't realize how widespread it is, that there are a lot of people that cannot be helped. 
That's the truth. I always defer to John chapter 2, 24, where Jesus didn't entrust himself to many of these people who believed in him, who called upon him, because the Bible says he knew what was in their hearts. They were false. Their motives were impure. They were half hearts. They were coming to him for the wrong reasons. And so Jesus did not entrust himself to them. That's a part of Jesus that we don't want to see. It's a part of Jesus that we were never taught in, quote, Sunday school. It's a part of Jesus that a lot of us just refuse to think exists, but it is the true Jesus. And so anyhow, I wanted to just put this in here as a disclaimer to let you know not to be discouraged if you are in a state of carnality, but you are growing. But to stay there, man, that's terrible. That's terrible. A carnal Christian who goes to heaven, a carnal Christian who finds life to the full, a carnal Christian who's used by God does not exist in the Bible. That is the plain, sad truth. May God bless you as you listen. End of commentary. A person contacts me and is repeatedly sending messages saying, I'm having feelings of anxiety. I'm trapped. I feel a darkness. I don't like the way I'm feeling. I'm full of regrets. I'm full of loneliness. I'm full of hopelessness. My heart is racing and wants to know, Michael, did this ever happen to you when you were going through your struggle? And this person has repeatedly sent me these kind of messages over and over over a period of several weeks. And they seem to be up, uh, okay, and then it's a crisis the next day. And then another crisis and another crisis. And they can't seem to catch their breath. They can't seem to catch a break. And it feels like their whole world is crushing in on them. And they want to know, where is this God that I believe in? Why is my whole world falling apart? Why has my spouse left me? Why have I lost this great job and made this mistake? Why am I still having to take these anxiety medications? Why can I not find peace? Why do I not feel like anything is ever going to get better in my life? Why do I feel like the best that I've ever seen or enjoyed is gone and gone for good? Why do I believe and feel like God has forsaken me? And I get these messages and what I end up seeing is this person ends up saying, I don't even feel like I deserve anything from God. Like I don't deserve anything anymore. Why do I feel this way? And what you end up when you step away from this, this is a very typical experience of many people that contact me. I myself have had days where I have felt like this, but what ends up happening is, is a, a person is living in the state of being a carnal Christian. They call themselves by the name of Jesus Christ. I, somebody has got to get this. This is so important. When you are living in, a, in a, a situation where your life is highly characterized by massive ups and downs in your heart, massive ups and downs in your peace and in your joy, and where your life happiness is primarily being directed and dictated by your circumstances being good or a lack of good circumstances, then you know you are not living as a spiritual Christian. This is critical. You're living as a, what Paul said was a carnal Christian in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I could not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal. You are worldly. You are fleshly. You still have issues of anger and dissension and jealousy and envy and factions amongst you. Are you not worldly? Are you not fleshly? Are you not carnal? And a carnal Christian is primarily focused on the here and now. It's a person who believes in Jesus Christ They've been converted to the point of wanting free salvation in Christ. They want to go to heaven when they die. But they're not yet learning what it means to live by the Spirit. For 19 years this was me. And so my inner happiness was determined by my external circumstances. In fact... If my ex-wife was up, I was up. When she was down, I was down. It didn't have to be my circumstances. I was being actually dictated by another person's uh, circumstances and how they felt. So there again, I lived a very fleshly, carnal, worldly existence. I believed in Christ in my head. I believed in Christ in my heart. I loved God. I had an enthusiasm for His Word. I was active in the church. I was participating in all things God. I was doing, doing, doing. And I think I was giving God an above average amount of time in my life. But yet, the primary mission of my life was being lived through the flesh. 
It doesn't mean I was in dark alleys doing evil things. It means I was motivated and being directed by my own self-will. Self was in the way. When a person starts asking all these questions, I don't want to lose my house. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my marriage. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. You're stuck in the I. I is carnal. You haven't yet surrendered yourself. Luke 14, unless a man gives up everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. There is no other way. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did not nullify his word. It doesn't matter what kind of preaching says that he did. Jesus Christ never nullified or abolished his own words when he died on that cross. He never spoke a single word pre-cross that was somehow or another expired on the other side of the cross, contrary to what it seems like a lot of watered-down, really, really bad teaching today does. Teaching today from the pulpit is, I have a business to run. This is the truth. People don't want to hear the truth, but this is the truth. I've had pastors tell me this. I had a pastor one time say, I got a $9,000 light bill. And if you don't think that that $9,000 light bill affects what he says from the pulpit, then you got another thing coming. Because it does the pressure to please the customer sitting in the seats. And so what happens? When you have a group of people sitting before you, hearing the Word of God, living outside of the Word of God, and you know it, and they know it, and they come and talk to you, you can't give them something you don't have. If you're not living godly, directed to the Spirit, and you're living more by a tight belt and a good theological degree that you have hanging on your office, and your ability to communicate, you can't give your people the Spirit-filled life. You can only give a man what you possess. You give them carnal Christianity. And so when you cannot help your people find freedom in Christ, what do you give them? You have to give them an excuse to stay in the sin they're in. You have to begin to build up a message of unconditional grace in your church. you got to be like a, a person who starts the, the grace revolution. you got to be uber grace and start telling people, don't worry, you're covered under grace. You don't have to worry about being perfect. You don't have to worry about striving to enter the narrow gate. You're in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. They don't realize they're missing it. Christ is not in them. If you're not living according to the Spirit, you are living according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, in Romans it says you die. And so here's the emphasis. The pastor at the pulpit who cannot give the, the real spiritual life to his people, he gives them a carnal ticket to carnal Christianity. And he starts to teach them about how to have a good life and self-help wrapped in tons of scripture and how to be a better husband and how to be a better wife and how to be a better leader and how to be a better volunteer. And we talk about all things external Christianity, all the things we should be doing driven from an internal motivation that now we're doing, well, because this is what you have to do. You're a Christian. But the pastor ends up making an excuse and making room for carnal Christianity in which the Bible holds no place. Without holiness, no one will see God. No one will see God. Men whose condemnation was written about long ago have slipped in amongst you, turning the grace of God into a license for immorality. This is what our churches are doing to the people today. The majority of churches that have this grace message, they have perverted the meaning of grace. Grace does not mean you're excused in your sin. That because you can't walk away from it, and because you can't live like Jesus, God gives you this thing called grace that covers you in spite of the fact that you can't live. This would be people saying that heaven has sent down an excuse Heaven has sent down a Heisman Trophy pose and God is up there kind of looking the other way, blinding the whole situation with his butt like the Heisman Trophy pose and says, well, I'm not going to look at it. I'm just going to give you grace. No, this is not what grace is. Grace is not a covering over. It is a power under. Grace is not an excuse to live in sin. It is the power to live outside of sin. It is the power to walk away from it. And so when you do not have this grace in your life and you do not see the power of the Spirit-filled life, you are a person who's completely focused on you. I this, I that, I can't feel this, I don't like this, I'm afraid of this, I want more of this, I, 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 I. 
There is no I in the Christian life. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Anyone who comes to me must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. And we have Christians trying to find answers how to make their life work. They are trying to find their life. I don't want to lose my house. I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to lose my kids. I don't want to lose my happiness. I don't want to lose my comfort. It's all a bunch of whiny baby stuff. It's the truth. Nobody wants to hear it, but from heaven it makes us look like whiny little babies. It's the truth. I was a whiny baby. I know. But, and heaven knows this, I did not spend day after day, week after week, stuck feeling sorry for myself. I had moments of deep, and in particular, one moment where I cried out, God, help me. I've lost everything for you. And what am I crying out? God, please use it. Please use it. Am I saying, please give it all back to me? Am I saying, give me back my happiness? No, I'm saying, God, forgive me. I didn't have a father who would teach me the right. Father, help me. Teach me. Show me. God, please don't tell me I'm going through this for nothing. Please use this. Redeem it. That's a heavenly mindset. That's a spirit-filled man who recognizes this is horrible. This hurts. But there's that part of you, no matter how defeating, no matter how over the top, no matter how crushing and perplexing the circumstances, there is a part of you, if the Spirit of Christ is in you, who knows you are more than a conqueror in Christ. And that you'll not only get through this, but you're going to come out stronger, more dignified, more spirit-filled, more redeemed, more effective for the kingdom of Christ. More than conquerors in Christ Jesus, Paul says we are. But most people do not get this. Most Christians, when they would even hear this message, but I got to have comfort, but I got to have not having a clue. There is no such thing as comfort or peace or joy or happiness or freedom or divine provision or internal joy. There is nothing like that available apart from the spirit-filled life in Christ. Any peace, joy, comfort, happiness... Uh, fulfillment you find outside of denying yourself and living by the Spirit of Christ is a temporary delusion. Jesus in John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. I lived homeless, sleeping in an old, rickety from back in the 1800s building in downtown Huntsville with an elevator that went up and down on its own all night long, sleeping on a floor in a huge building all by myself with all the creaks and the cracks and all that for four months. For four months. How was I able to do that? I had a toilet and a sink. How was I able to do that? Going in and out every single night and having to time when I leave and when I come and measure to make sure my car doesn't look like it's being left there overnight and, and being you know conscious of people coming and leaving the building and not realizing that there's a man living in here and dealing with the cleaning people coming and go and arranging my circumstances like this. How do you do this and not feel total depression, total depravity, total despair? Because the Spirit of Christ is in you. Because God called me to obey Him and it put me in that situation and the Spirit of Christ gave me grace such that there were times I would walk into that tiny little office and say, Father, I'm home and it feels good and I thank you. God, thank you. And I would walk around in that little office and I would just be filled with the Spirit of Christ. I'd walk in and say, God, I thank you for this place. I thank you for this neat little season where it's just me and you and I'm in this little office building and it's so humbled and I have to lay here on my little mat you know, for four months, not four days, not four hours, not four weeks, four months I lived like this, every night, sleeping on a floor in an office, on a, on a wooden floor, with like burlap carpet. So I know what it feels like to suffer, but I know 
that no matter what you go through, I'm able to endure and do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Jesus Christ, because the Spirit of Christ is living in me, gave me the grace to not every day, oh, I don't can't believe this is happening to me. Why me? I'm just so... Uh, this is... This is carnal Christianity. When you are constantly whining and can't figure out why your little life doesn't work, you're missing because of all of the perverted, horrible, lukewarm, washed out, impotent teaching in the Church of America today. It's primarily the church's fault. I wouldn't want anybody to think that I'm totally making it their fault. But the fact is, we all have a Bible we should be reading. And instead of letting men do our studying for us, we need to be doing studying. And the reality is, what we call Christianity in church today doesn't even exist in the Bible. It doesn't even exist. People don't even want to get to first base. People, There's people in the church that are running home runs, but they're going to find out when the game is over and Jesus wraps this whole thing up, he's going to look at them and say, I'm sorry, you didn't touch first base you never surrendered your life to me. You lived apart from me. You did your own thing. Yeah, you did some great things and you managed to put together a pretty decent life for yourself. And well, you sold a lot of books and you traveled all over the country and spoke to a lot of different people and you did a lot of good things on the earth. But you know what? You didn't surrender your life to me. You know, you were kind of this little independent thing aside of me. You did things uh, in my name. You did things for me, but not because I asked you to do them. You were out operating completely independent of me. Things you thought I said to you, I didn't say to you because you never fully surrendered your life to me. What a tragedy. And people are so afraid of surrender because their whole carnal chains wrapped around their arms and wrapped around their legs and the devil's going, don't listen to Mike, he's a freak. He's called to live some kind of a a, a spiritual holier than now existence than you are. He's on a different program. Don't listen to this guy. He's legalistic. Man, it's about relationship. It's about grace. Ooga booga. Just chill out. Just relax a little bit. That is the devil right now writing you a ticket to hell. There's no other way around it. Unless a man loses his life, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, which means you get rid of all sin, all evil habits, all of your vices. You give up everything that you've put your hope and you found happiness in, that you find fulfillment in. You give it all up. Not so that you can be miserable. This is the biggest of all the lies on this subject. The devil will say, oh, but then you're going to have no fun. Who wants to be a rule follower with no joy? You might as well go find a set of stairs three stories tall and climb them up on your knees for Jesus to show him how much you can suffer. What good is that kind of a life? Obedience? Did God really say you should live down here without anything for yourself? Does God really say you should really surrender? Did God really say you can't serve God and money? Did God say you really couldn't chase after and enjoy all these things that he's given you? This is the liar from the pit of hell. And here's the truth. Here is the truth. To the man or the woman who gets it, who hears this testimony, and who reads the testimony of thousands of others who have died and gone before us, the great of the great men and women of God, They all tell you the same thing. Until you come to the place of absolute surrender, you have nothing. You can run the bases ten times and touch home plate and still not get a home run because you didn't touch first base. First base with Jesus. Give it all up. Surrender it all to me and I'm going to give you something that you don't even know is available. But check it out. I'm not going to honor giving you that until you honor me with faith that says you believe me for it to begin with. You have to have faith to believe that God is who He is and He does what He says He does. What does the Bible say? It is impossible to please God without faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1. 
Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So now you're asking yourself, okay, Mike's asking me to believe God for something that I don't yet see. Hello, this is faith 101. Any man that comes to God, Hebrews eleven six, must believe that he exists. And here's my point. And that he rewards those who diligently seek him. What is his reward? His greatest reward. I know this from personal experience. Not from a book. Not from a sermon. Not from a theological degree. Not from thousands of hours of studying the Bible. I know this through my own personal experience. And it's backed up by the testimony of countless men and women. That God gives you in your heart his very best gift, which is his presence. God gives you his presence. And when he touches your soul, when you say, God, I'm willing in faith to surrender my will, my desires, my wants, my goals, my expectations to have my best life now, you have got to surrender that to God. You cannot read a Joel Osteen book and think that you can have your best life now. When the Bible says fix your hope fully, it doesn't even say 90% or 50% or 75%. Fix your hope fully on the life that is to come when Christ Jesus is revealed. For you have died with Christ and have been raised again to life in Him. Your life is now hidden with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You have been bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Who wants to hear about sacrifice? Who wants to hear about surrender? And why do we not want to hear about it? Because we have been sold a false gospel that says, you can have your best life now. The American economy, long before somebody like Joel Osteen and countless other, I'm not picking on Joel, it's countless other pastors and preachers that teach this garbage. And what ends up happening is, it sets people up to be mad at God. If, you, if, if I wanted to start a church and pack it out with 10,000 people, I could do it. I could do it. I've preached before audiences of 500 people before and have them moved almost to tears or captivated. Or I know how to do that. I know how to speak and speak to men's hearts and speak to men's desires. And I know how to enslave them to their, their the desires of the flesh. I know how to tell people what they want to hear. Why would I be so foolish to preach the hard truth knowing people will throw rocks at you. They don't want to hear it. They're going to argue against it. You're not going to make very many people following you because the Spirit of Christ is in me and woe is me if I do not. There only is one way to truth. There's only one way to life, losing your life through surrender to Christ. And then comes the greatest gift of ever. You've taken your faith, you've surrendered your life, you recognize there is nothing good in you. You recognize, like Paul, I consider all things a loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. Meaning, if he were to get everything back he lost, he would consider those things a loss to him instead of a gain if it meant him not being able to know Christ like he did now. That's what it is with me, with losing my kids and losing my family, losing my home, losing my career, losing my finances, losing friendships, losing my passions, all of that. This foundational life I had built on, I lost it all. And then God stepped in because I desired Him and I was willing to surrender to Him. And I didn't lose it all until after I surrendered it. I surrendered it and He took it from me. And people will say, well, I don't want to surrender. Oh God, I don't want, Michael, I don't want to have your experience. I couldn't handle it. You may have faith I don't have. I can't handle losing everything. And I say, you can't handle not losing everything. You cannot afford not to lose anything. Anything a person has in their life that God didn't put there, anything that's inside your life that is outside of God's will is eventually going to turn to ashes. We fill our lives full of treasures and then we go and try to unite ourselves to Christ, being that we are the bride of Christ. Christ looks at us and says, you've been cheating on me. You've had an adulterous affair. With the world, you have desired all things in the world. 
You are consumed and look at all these gifts and treasures and things you have stored up for yourself. You don't love me. You love your stuff. You and I are supposed to be in this relationship. Why don't I just go in your closet and find a diamond ring from your previous engagement that you, know, that you, you ended up calling off? Why do you still need to keep that ring? Imagine how a man would feel if he saw that the woman he married was keeping an engagement ring from a previous man that she had met and she was going to be engaged to. How would that man feel when he found that ring? If he didn't feel jealous, if he didn't feel a violation of his exclusivity and his relationship between him and his wife, something is wrong with that guy. And that's exactly what would be the case with God. When God looks at us and sees all this stuff that we've acquired in our life previous to having a relationship with him, that's not stuff that he gave us. He doesn't look at that stuff and say, yeah, look at all that good stuff and the good career and the good family and all that. He doesn't look at all that stuff. He looks at all that stuff and says, that's stuff that you acquired before our relationship. Why do you still need that? Am I not enough for you? Do you not know that I want to give you things and I don't want my things to compete with the things that you acquired for yourself? Do you not know that love of the world is enmity with me? Do you not know that it's as if you're cheating on me when I see that you have filled your life with all these things that I never gave you? And every time you and I are spending together, I see your life filled with all the stuff that you've acquired from your previous lover. This is how God sees it. This is how God sees it. It's clear in Scripture. So if you will just risk and trust and surrender, you can be done with this I don't feel worthy. It's all dark. My life is never working out. I'm never going to be happy again. I'm never, whoa, 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 is me. Self-pity. Self-pity, it comes straight from the pit of hell. Feel sorry for yourself. Whine about it. Complain about it. You can just keep fighting. Find somebody that will empathize with you. Misery loves company. There's plenty of people out there like this. Find them. They'll get in there and they'll tell you why you're justified feeling that way. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. Keep fighting. Get that life back. When God is saying, no, my son, no, my daughter, let it all go. Let it all go. Surrender. And I'm going to give you something that you will one day say, oh, God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Thank you for taking all of these things away from me. Thank you for either removing them from my heart or removing them from me to altogether. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to me. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for allowing me to feel your presence. Thank you, God, for helping me to know that I exist to you. Thank you, God, for the peace in my heart, which transcends all understanding, which is guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for the sense of joy. Lord, I've never felt a joy like this, Lord, in spite of not having good circumstances. Lord, I know this is coming from someplace other than me. God, thank you, Jesus, for putting your spirit in me. God, I desire you above all things. Heaven or earth have nothing besides you that can, that can satisfy my soul. You are all that I desire. God, where does this come from? How is it possible that I can feel this sense of joy and fulfillment in my heart? How is it, Father, that I now am able to feel detached from all things? Contentment. How is it possible that my favorite sport that I used to love and worship now is like drinking toilet water to me? How is that possible? Oh my God, does He give good gifts to those who ask and those who are willing to trade in the old for the new and die to themselves so that they can live. But no shortage no shortage of christians who hate the idea of surrender and so they miss out because they are convinced that they can create a life apart from god not realizing that that is what the pagans do what does jesus christ say in matthew chapter 6:31 through 34 so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He might as well say, or where shall we work or where shall we live or where shall we uh, recreate all of that? For your heavenly father knows that you need these. He says, these are the things that pagans run after, unbelievers. But your heavenly father knows that you need them. 
So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. People have to decide, I either believe that or I don't. I either believe Jesus was speaking words of life, words of God, words from heaven, words of truth, or I think they don't apply anymore. They've expired. It maybe works for the kid in Africa, but it doesn't work for me in America. That's what you have to do. You have to come to a place where you decide, I either believe God is telling the truth or he is a liar. Woe to you if you think he's a liar. Woe to you. But if you humble yourself, oh dear God, help me to see this. Help me to walk in this. I give you everything. Lord, have your way with me. Take anything in my life out that is in your way because I'm not afraid, God. And here's why. Because I believe you that you love me. And I believe that you're completely in control. I believe anything you take from me, any pain you allow in me, is only for my good, ultimately, and your glory. And God, I believe you may, in fact, because your promise in Mark 10, 28 says that no one who has left homes or fathers or mothers or brothers or sisters or wives or children or fields for my sake and the sake of the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much, both in this life and with persecutions, homes, fathers, Brothers, sisters, and fields, and children won't fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life and in the life to come. So God, I trust that some of the things you may take out of my life, you may replace with something even better. But God, I know that the best of the best of the best of the best of the best is you and your presence. And I know God in faith because I've heard Michael talk about it and I've heard and read other people talk about it. That there's going to be a contentment in my life that I may not even want some of the things I'm desiring anymore. That as I delight myself in the Lord, the desires of my heart that you choose to give may be very different than what I'm thinking now. Because after all, after I possess you, I now am in possession of the greatest gift of all. The pearl of great price. The man who found a buried treasure in a field and went and sold all that he had to buy the field. That is the essence. That is the bullseye. That is the target. That is authentic Christianity. And anything that comes short of that is false. And anything that comes short of that is bound to end up a Christian worthless, fruitless, delusional, and cast in to all of eternity. Because there again, Jesus Christ said it very clearly. Any man who loves his life in this life will lose it. But if he hates his life in this life, he will keep it for eternal life. Praise be to God. You cannot lose when you finally surrender. Good morning, parents, from the front porch of house number two. I just wanted to share with you guys this morning something that is um, another really eye-opening, exciting blessing that the Lord has shared with me. And this is something that you guys are a part of. So I wanted to share this good blessing with you as well. I uh, spent a good bit of time last night in prayer and have just continued to ask the Lord for wisdom and insight into what I'm doing and how He sees it and how He wants me to see it and so forth and so on. And the most awesome thing happened to me this morning as I'm doing my Bible study. God has helped me to see that you and I in partnership, because I could not do what I'm doing without you guys. This is so important that you guys get this. This is something that the Lord keeps opening up my eyes to, that everybody is doing their part. You, All three of us right now have a mini ministry. I mean, when you think about it, Mom, everything from you mowing the grass and coming in every once in a while and cleaning and, and just all the stuff. Bob with the finances and the fixing up and, and the finding the house and all of these kind of things that you guys do that's been freeing me up to serve the way I have been gifted to serve. So, for example, you guys are serving me kind of like what people did with Paul when he was in prison or when he's on his own. He received support from the churches. Why? Because they couldn't do what he was doing, and he couldn't do what they were doing. So together, they were helping one another. Okay, so you're helping me, I'm helping others. What does it look like? What are we doing? This is so awesome. Okay, so listen to this. James one twenty seven says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after 
orphans and widows, okay? We all listen to that and go, oh, that's nice. And we immediately think real orphans and real widows. But interestingly enough, there's a larger precedent in Scripture that indicates that he's talking about spiritual orphans and spiritual widows than he is literal orphans and literal widows. Yes, there are those literals, but there are far more spiritual orphans and spiritual widows in the world. Now listen to this. In John 14, 18, Jesus Christ saying to the disciples, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. They all had fathers. They were not orphans. What's he talking about? He's talking about spiritual orphans, people that don't have spiritual fathers. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says, Paul, to the church, Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Is he talking about literal father? When he says, I am sending to you my son, my true son, Timothy, he doesn't mean literal son. Paul's not married. He doesn't have a literal son. But he speaks of the spiritual implications. God, open my eyes to this this morning and help me see, do you not see, Michael, I have called you to take care of spiritual orphans and spiritual widows. These single women that are contacting me, you talk about a shift in my thinking and how I see now how the devil has tried to pervert and distort and keep me from my purpose. God showed me this morning, Michael, these are spiritual widows. These are women who do not have godly men in their lives, either through divorce or through legitimate widowcy. They do not have a spiritual father. And quite honestly, the ones that are contacting me don't seem to have people in their immediate life who are godly. That's why they are coming to me and saying, I've never met anybody as godly as you. In their mind, there may be some confusion, but that doesn't mean there has to be any confusion in my mind. God is saying to me, I'm bringing these to you. They are spiritual widows and spiritual orphans. That 20-year-old kid who prayed the prayer to receive Jesus Christ, he, I am his father in Christ. He came to Christ through my work. And now I'm to mentor him and I'm to provide for him a spiritual father. You know, listen to this in John 21, 17. Jesus asked three times, Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. He says that twice, and he says, take care of my sheep. Is he talking about literal sheep? Is he talking about literal food? No, he's not. He's talking about spiritual food, and he's saying, these are my sheep. They're vulnerable. They're dumb. They need help. They need guidance. They need looking after. They need constant care and correction. Look over them. Matthew ten forty two. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If any of you gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, he will surely not lose my reward. Is Jesus talking about a literal cup of cold water? Sure, there's going to be times when it's a literal cup of cold water, but that's not what he primarily means. God showed me this morning, Michael, when you hand a scripture, a perfectly timed scripture, this is amazing, guys, if you get this. When I, by the Holy Spirit, so I'm not giving anybody anything that I have. I'm giving only what the God, what God the Father is giving me. So when I give somebody a perfectly timed, poignant scripture relevant to their situation, I'm giving that person a cup of cold water. You guys heard me recite a scripture last night, a, a testimony rather, from a lady who says, my goodness, when I watch your videos, you're sharing with me the scriptures that I just needed to hear, that I've just been struggling with. I feel so refreshed. That's me giving a cup of cold water to a little one, and I surely will not lose my reward, Jesus is saying. Do you get this? Luke twelve forty two. Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. Is he talking about literal food? No, we know he's not. He's talking about giving them, when it's relevant, giving the person their food. Exactly what I'm doing, like this morning I recorded another 20-second, 22-minute message for somebody about work-related issues. It's properly timed food allowance. I mean, I'm telling you, God has just opened my eyes to this so much. I'm going, man, this is incredible. Okay, so one last one. 
Jesus says in Matthew 25, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all of His angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, you, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and, you clothe, and, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did, whatever you did, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he goes to those on the left and he repeats the same thing and, he, and you did nothing for me. But I am telling you that the implications of this are far more spiritual than they are literal. Even Paul says, stomach for the food and food for the stomach, but the Lord will destroy them both. Physical food, Jesus puts emphasis, he says, do not work for food which spoils, but for food which endures to the eternal life. What is he talking about? You came to me for physical food, I'm telling you that's no good. Satan says, turn that stone into bread. And Jesus says, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is not talking about literal food. He's not talking about literal water. Is it a nice thing to give a kid or a poor person some literal food, some literal water? Yes. But if you gave them literal food and literal water till the cows come home and they never get the real food, the bread that comes down from heaven, the most important food, if we don't feed them that, you've done them no good. That's why I've said all the time, this, these big ministries like Tom's Shoes, where he goes and gives shoes to all these kids around the world and people say, oh, this is so great, it's so wonderful. You know what? He's giving shoes to kids that will end up in hell if they never hear the gospel. He himself will end up in hell if he does his works apart from God. Having appearance of godliness but denying its power, the Lord says. So here it is. God has just really helped me to see this. We all have an orphanage. Think about this. We have an orphanage. We have a house for widows. Because you guys are mowing the grass, because you guys are paying the rent and providing food for me, you guys are doing the things I cannot do. Mom, you pull in and say, did you notice? Did you notice? Why? I'm not, and I say to you, no, I didn't notice. Why? That's not what I'm supposed to notice. That's not part of my mission field. I'm, I'm laser focused on doing what I'm doing, okay? Now, Imagine if all of a sudden I had to take care of the yard, I had to fix the gutters, I had to plant the plants, I had to bring, go to the grocery store. When would there ever be time for me to fully focus and pray on helping these people that are coming? I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that work. It doesn't mean my work's any better than yours. It is simply in supplement to yours. It is in teamwork with yours. So here it is, three people. What does the Bible say? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. What does the Bible say? One, what can he do by himself? But two, have a good return on their investment. Do you know the Bible says one can turn away a thousand, but two can turn away ten thousand? Think about that. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Look at, look at what's happening here in our family. This is a whole lot more than you guys just, well, let's just support the little kid and maybe one day God will provide finances. No, you guys are using the resources and the talents and the gifts that God has given you to support and you will be rewarded just as much as I am. What does Jesus Christ teach? He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, which is one of my spiritual gifts, will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. That is teaching that anybody who hosts and supports 
and receives. A godly person will receive that godly person's reward. Are you guys not double dipping in that way? Yes, you are. You guys are benefiting from that. So I'm just sitting here saying to myself, my goodness gracious, praise be to God in heaven. We are running an orphanage, guys. And I've, I'm seeing it totally different. It's like God gave me this vision this morning of how can I start more personal mentoring and discipling these orphans and these widows that God is sending to me. Is that not exactly what God is sending to me? He's sending me to these people. They either don't have a spiritual father, they don't have a spiritual, they don't have a husband, and they don't have any of it spiritually. I mean, it's just incredible, guys. And so we have an orphanage. We are doing the Lord's work. I mean, this is awesome. Praise be to God. I hope you guys get this and you spend some time rejoicing. And thank you for doing the Lord's work and helping. And let's all think more about how we can help more people. I'm going to begin to think about how can I continue to refine and strategize and create systems to be able to feed to feed more people, you know? It's the difference between being a tiny little uh, soup kitchen in your house versus doing what The Rock has done through Mana House. Are they not able to feed a whole lot more people? Did they not at one point say, you know, making these little bag lunches is great, but we're not being able to help enough people. Let's figure out if we can do a system to help more people. That's exactly what they did, and that's exactly what I want to do is... How can we turn what we're doing ultimately into like the manna house? Think about that. How can we use... They're doing a physical food. We're doing spiritual food, okay? They, they're doing a good thing. That is a good thing to feed those people, right? But we have an obligation to do the same thing to create like a spiritual manna house. And that's kind of what we have created here, guys. So we have a responsibility as we grow to think about how can we create better systems, be better, more organized, more efficient, instead of just waiting for a hungry person to show up and say, yeah, we can throw together a PBJ and this, that, and the other and give it to them. We now have a system, and when people come, we can plug them in, and we keep them in, and they keep coming back, and we keep feeding them, and we keep feeding them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.